We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Crazy man, crazy uh, four hours. Um, going back and forth, man. A lot of things that I love in LA, but I just wanted to let you know I'm coming to Buffalo. Bills Mafia, what's good? It's 40 open. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Von Miller from his own Instagram video. Announcing that he was coming to the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> what a time to be alive, ladies and gentlemen. What a time to be alive. Chris, raise a glass. I mean, I don't have a glass. I'm going to get something in a minute before we get our guest on. Engelbra, Bills Mafia. Happy St. Patty's Day to everybody out there. It's almost 70 degrees and sunny in Buffalo. There is no better time to sip some of the finest of spirits tell some tales, and to celebrate. No, we're not talking about celebrating being Irish. We're talking about Buffalo Bills free agency. Chris? The last time that this happened, where we signed a pass rusher free agency when it was this nice outside, was Mario Williams. I remember that because I was in a meeting. I worked for M&T Bank at the time, and we were in a meeting with a the the corporate's head of bank security, a former Secret Service agent, and we were just talking about banking security in this big thing. And all of a sudden, everyone's phones started going off, and then he himself got a text message. He said, okay, I don't normally do this, but apparently something football-related is happening for you people, so feel free to step outside and check your phones. <laughs> I was working it for was one of the funniest moments where here's this grizzled I used to protect the president security expert going fine go outside and celebrate your football nonsense 
<laughs> I had a job installing ATMs, and I was in Albany on my way back, and I had just moved here, so I still had T-Mobile as my cell service. So in the state of New York, I could only get 4G cell service in Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, and then Albany, Schenectady. So when I got outside of Schenectady on my way back, I just couldn't listen to GR on the app. Because I didn't have 4G. So I was like <laughs> pulling over, listening to the stuff on Mario Williams signing it. I'm like, well, it's, it's March. It's 70 degrees. This never happens. You know, we need to keep this weather up so we can be like, yeah, this is our March weather all the time. <laughs> it's always like this St. Patrick's Day. You kidding me? Uh, folks, do we have a show for you? Mr. Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings will be joining us shortly, but... As we begin this conversation about Buffalo Bills free agency here in 2022, when you think about the philosophy that we went into this with, I mean, the various needs of the football team heading into 2022 have been treated, it's been beaten like a rented mule across the, across the podcast landscape over the last month, right? Everybody's talked this thing to death. Podcasters, bloggers, amateur bloviators of all kind have gotten together across various outlets to talk about who we need, what we need, what players I like. Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. Oh, my God. Book it. it. Enraging. But even though we didn't agree all the time on who, there was a consensus when it came to philosophy. By virtue of our quarterback and defensive talent, we have a window available to us. Right. That's the reason that we're regarded by almost every sports book in the country right now as the betting favorite to win the 2022 Super Bowl. But to make good on their status as Super Bowl favorite, the team was going to need more wow. Okay. And it was going to need some supportive talents that are existing players who make wow plays could do so more often. We're talking about guys like a, a two gapping defensive tackle that can free up Ed Oliver while keeping our linebackers clean. Wide receivers' speed and depth. Upgraded athleticism in our coverage units. Talent and proven ability in our still-growing defensive end room. The first step towards addressing that took place early this week and is still taking place, I, I guess like this, the, the roster transformation of where we are philosophically as a team it's just, it's an incredible thing to watch. I think one of the earliest things, and if there's anywhere to start this free agency conversation, it starts with the effort made to, quote unquote, keep our own, which is something of an imperfect science and has been kind of upsetting to Bills fans. When you look at the roster and the guys who were here last year, and then you see who's been released or who was able to seek a trade and then cut. A lot of it started with these character guys, right? The Harrison Phillips, the John Feliciano, the Cole Beasleys. When you think about where the turn, like I understand some of the fan angst around this, because when you think about when the turnaround of this team really started, 2017 was great. Don't get me wrong. Breaking the drought was one of the most important moments in this franchise's history. But after 2017, you still knew, Chris, the way we lost that playoff game, you knew you had to get better, right? Yes. 
So we intentionally broke everything down and said, we are ready to start the rebuild in earnest. The first point of that was hemorrhaging a lot of talent, finding a rookie quarterback. And then that rookie quarterback took his lumps and showed everybody, though, that he was a warrior. He was somebody you could build around. So then you went into 2019 and said, fine, let's start the building process. And in doing so, you brought in some guys who had character because you needed that. You needed the John Felicianos, right? Like, I remember as a rookie, early on, John Feliciano getting into a fight with, uh, what was it, week two against the Giants? Maybe. I'm the John only... Feliciano getting into a fight and Cody Ford running to be next man in. Because somebody took a late, uh, a late cheap shot at Josh Allen. Those Jaguar fights are the only ones that stick out to me. Okay, well, I remember that play. You needed a guy like John Feliciano to bring a little nasty to your offensive line. Because we didn't have it. And at the time, building that kind of mentality was important. In your wide receiver core, you needed a guy who was savvy and could fight and was, for being small, was tough. Both physically and mentally. Cole Beasley was your guy for that. Chris, true or false? Cole Beasley, most dynamic slot presence that the Bills had had since, I don't know, the mid-90s? Maybe. I remember Andre Reid being able to line up anywhere. Yeah. But so he, he, was, he wasn't, like, strictly slot guy. No. Think about pure slot receiver. Who was better than Cole Beasley? Can no you one. Think of one. No one. You needed that. So to watch those guys leave was upsetting for a sizable portion of our fan base. And I understand Harrison Phillips. That one wasn't easy. That one stings from a community standpoint. For sure. Because you're like, wait a minute, he did all the things. He was a great a great human being. He was Poncho he was Ezra Castro's last like he was his draft pick. That was the one he got to make, and it was one of the last impressions he got to make on this fan base in a national setting. And yet, he's gone. And that rankled a lot of people. But also, those guys were, they were necessary stepping stones to be where we are today. Like, that's, Chris, every, every franchise has these players, don't they? Yeah. Like, you need a guy to start a process. He might not be the guy who sees it through, but they were definitely important and they were definitely necessary. Cole Beasley, like like him or dislike him, I mean, I think if you dislike him, you're probably, listen, everybody can feel however they want to feel, right? But I think that if you're strictly looking at the, the social contract we have with athletes, do the thing with the ball on the field. Do it well, I'll cheer. Do it poorly, I'll boo. You couldn't ask for a better guy than Cole Beasley. Yeah, he was amazing. Played to a fucking broken leg. I will feel bad having to call my father and telling him that we cut Cole Beasley because he has been, Cole Beasley's been my dad's favorite player for the last couple of years. It's tough. At the same time, you look at the maturity and the matriculation of a football team and sometimes it requires it. Because then when you look at the guys that we kept, right, the guys from that era who are still here, the retention of guys like Mitch Morse and Isaiah McKenzie, 
And people go, well, Cole Beasley was a better thing than McKenzie. Yeah, but you know what McKenzie has? Is he has Josh Allen's trust. And also, he was more, he was less expensive. He was willing to stay for what? Two point something million a year? Yeah. Mitch Morse. Still one of, if you go back and look at tape from last year, one of the more athletic centers in football. He did a great job protecting Josh Allen last year when he could, <laughs> when the guard play around him allowed him to do that. He still has upside. He's a veteran. Is he a world beater? Is he a pro bowler or an all pro? No. But I don't need that. What I need is a guy that my quarterback trusts. If Mitch Morse is that guy, right? Yeah. Out of that wave of guys brought into 2019, if they went to Josh and said, who do you need? And he said, I need Mitch Morse. That's why he's here. Because he's the guy Josh trusts. He's the one capable of protecting him. Who's going to do it? John Feliciano at center? No. Right now, when you look at free agency, centers are, by and large, staying at home. Something E.J. Snyder who was just on the podcast a week ago or two. He brought that to the attention of Twitter. He goes, look, centers all over the NFL this offseason mostly stayed home. I mean, J.C. Treader from the Browns got released in a sign that they're probably not, they don't care what the quarterback thinks. This rapport he's built with J.C. Treader over the last few years doesn't matter because he's not going to be here either. <laughs> Teams that love their quarterback typically don't mess with the center. Because that's their quarterback's guy. He's the first guy. To, he's the guy who hands him the ball. He's the guy who has the first block to try to protect that guy. So to see the way this all unfolded, that McKenzie and Morse are the guys who are sticking, and all these other guys are going out of this wave of players who came in from 2018 to now, I think it speaks volumes to where this team is maturity-wise. We're like, look, we appreciate the character that you guys brought. But now we need ceiling and execution, and we just need more. And I think that's why the release of Daryl Williams caught so many people off guard. Were you surprised to see that the Bills cut Daryl Williams for cap consideration? Yeah, I was. That makes me wonder if we were going to attack somebody in free agency or that this is going to be a position we're looking for in the draft to fill that void. Well... Here's what I'll say about Darrell Williams. First of all, if you're talking about tackle pay, he was a great value for right tackle. But Spencer Brown made him irrelevant at right tackle. His size, his length, his athleticism, his potential for growth. They saw him as like, hey, we can, we can form the best offensive line that we have if Darrell Williams is not playing right tackle for us right now. So knowing that you have that kid on a cheap contract and knowing that for a guard, he's making a lot of money, <laughs> I, I guess it's just like you, I don't know, you wouldn't want to, would you want to overpay a guard to do that job on this type of football team and do it on a mediocre level? Yeah, that I, great? I would overpay for a great offensive line play. Helps you in the pass game, helps you in the run game. If you didn't know that you had options, like what if I could get same or maybe better for less money? 
Yeah, sign me up. Wouldn't you try to leverage that against an existing player, even if he was yeah. a part of what you were building? It's for that reason that I think I, I think it makes sense, and yet it caught so many people off guard. And I think that this idea that the Bills, like, I've seen this idea floated by some lunatic fans that I wish, I, Chris, I used to be one. <laughs> you remember those days. Yeah, I do. <laughs> this idea that, the Bills don't care about their old culture anymore. Don't care about culture, period. They forgot, they're forgetting about who got them here. I think that some of this, it, you know, the moves we're about to discuss with our guest tonight, I think that it, I don't know, I think that you sometimes have to lose these types of players. They're not bad guys. They're not terrible at their job, but you have to get better. You have to get more versatile. You have to do some things specifically that change the makeup of your football team in order to get to where you haven't gone as a franchise before. So it, I'm not shocked. I was never going to be shocked at the release of Darrell Williams. And I think that the effort they made to retain their own, Levi Wallace leaving, like, he's another one of that group. Chris, you know me. I <laughs> you blow guys from Alabama. My roll tide, my roll tide, like, my fandom there doesn't. I still knew that we could do better. And so it's interesting seeing that they've released him. They've released, or at least let him walk. They've released Daryl Williams. They've made all these changes. But they did it in mindset. They could bring in the faces that they did. And in order to kind of expand off of that point we bring in tonight's guest we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. International Man of Mystery, Mr. Bruce Nolan. How are you, sir? Guys, I'm fantastic. Just disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. Party all the time. <laughs> it sounds like it. You are the podcasting universe's international man of mystery, the host of the Bruce, the, the Bruce exclusive, the co-host of Food for Thought. And I, I guess I want to start here. I don't listen to a ton of sports podcasting. Most of my attention is like financial or science podcasts, um, comedy podcasting. But I was listening to Food for Thought this past Friday. And I heard you say something that really has stuck with me over this past week. And it was this simile that you drew that free agency is like Chinese buffet food versus sit down food. You know, the made to order stuff in that they'll both give you general Sal, but one of them is far better than the other one. It, 
after having witnessed this past week, do you still believe in that simile? Absolutely. A hundred percent. There is some funny, funny, funny money. And we're going to get into it a little bit later when we talk about specific positional groups in free agency. But the market is very strange because supply and demand can get things out of hand real fast. And supply and demand doesn't necessarily line up with precedent because in that moment, there is no precedent. People are fighting for their jobs. General managers are fighting for their jobs. And when you get fired after one bad year, after two bad years, you don't really care so much about making sure that you're setting appropriate historical precedents when you sign Christian Kirk to a four-year, $72 million contract that's worth up to $84 million. You don't care about that. That's not really relevant to you. You're just like, you know what? I'm just trying not to get fired at this point. Because guess what? If something happens to me, the next guy's got to deal with it. If something blows up in the Jaguars' face, Trent Baalke's like, I'm pulling a Magic Johnson because I ain't going to be here. (laughs) And that's just the way it is. So that's the reason why free agency gets funny money. That's the reason why it requires a level of emotional and fiscal discipline that you really can't ask people to have when the gun is against, against their head with the threat of being fired. So I absolutely stand by it. If anything, I think that the food simile is actually a little bit more ingrained in me now than it was when I said it. It, it was it was genius. It was a stroke of genius. And anybody who listens to your show every Friday night and, and it, it airs live. That's one of the other things I like is that it's happening. I can tune into it and I can hear it. It's not just an edited podcast form. It's happening in real time. So to know that you guys are that sharp and can just bring this tit for tat that you and Nate have, it really is refreshing. They're professionals. Well, true, they are professionals. We just play them on TV. We just have prof- <laughs> we just have expensive equipment to make us look professional. <laughs> so you guys have a studio, though. Yeah. Nate and I are sitting here trying to make sure our computers don't crash, so one of us drops out. Yeah, yeah. fair. Fair, but also then I have to look at him and his stupid hair. Like we we have to fight. I gotta look at your microphone. I gotta look at your face and your teeth. That's bad enough. We we literally battle. Like when the microphones are off, it's me and him. Just it's it's literally a roast. The second these microphones turn off, it's hysterical. I don't think uh, I don't think an uh, orthodontist would take Christian Kirk's contract to fix your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, Trent Trent Balky really kind of. That's Chris. I, I don't give you a lot of credit. That's a good one. I do appreciate that. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> well, no one has to worry about seeing my face anyway. <laughs> well, so what I'll say is this: to to Bruce's point, things get wild in free agency, and some of it is about. And Trent Balky really did tank things. I mean, there was a report that broke out yesterday that. Active negotiations were being slowed down. People were like, how come these stars haven't signed? Well, because Trent Baalke's early antics out of the gate, agents were running to the teams that were negotiating with their clients and going, look at Zay Jones got $8 million. My client must be worth more than that. And teams were going, whoa, just because that guy's dumb doesn't mean we are. Let's settle this down. Let's find a place of reason. But to your point, that's not what free agency is. So it's interesting to see the path that the Bills wove and the emotional highs and lows of it. But the first signing, I mean, I think this is a great place to start, not only because it's a natural segue from what we were just talking about, and that's what talented and definitely not already mildly intoxicated podcasters would do, 
But because he seems like a direct placement of sorts for the aforementioned Darrell Williams as a fellow all-pro pro bowler at one point in his career on the offensive line, Roger Saffold, I, we bring in this guy who, I, I think it was Aaron Quinn floated the idea that as soon as Roger Saffold was told he was not being retained by the Tennessee Titans, the Bills should use him as leverage against Darrell Williams to reduce his cap hit. So it's interesting to see that, and that's obviously just a podcaster's idea thrown out into the ether of social media, but then to see that we released one player to retain the other player in that equation, it is interesting. What do you make of that kind of one-for-one swap there in free agency, Bruce? Roger Saffold is a true guard. Daryl Williams is a right tackle who worked best as a right tackle in a specific system who was forced to play guard. That's They're fair. very, very different. That is fair. Also, Roger Saffold infinitely better fits the athletic profile of what it feels like the Buffalo Bills have been trying to achieve for a while. At the very beginning of every single one of the last couple of years, the Bills will come out with a fairly zone-heavy run attack. And then by the end of the year, they're like, ah, it's not working again. Scrap it. And the last couple of year, last couple of games of the season, you'll see a lot more gap runs. And everyone will be like, okay, this is the momentum going into next year. Completely forgetting that, of course, momentum doesn't exist when it transfers from year to year. That's not a thing. No. When there's five months, six months, seven months in between games, yeah. momentum's not a thing anymore. So when it boils down to what kind of offensive run game do you want to implement, it really is a better fit with a better athlete at guard. And Daryl Williams has never been known as a tremendous athlete. And so when you move him inside the guard and you ask him to get across the face of a defensive end or a defensive tackle and make sure he turn blocks and things like that, it's just not an ideal fit in a zone rushing scheme, which I think that Cromer and Dorsey and McDermott, I think they want to use that because there's benefits to doing that when it comes to availability for flipping plays at the line of scrimmage by Josh Allen. There's benefits to having a zone-based system, but every single year they want to do it, and every single year they end up abandoning it at the end of the year because it's not working, and primarily it's because they don't have the horses. Well, guess what? You got the horses. Oh, for sure. I mean, this lineup right now... Rick Bates, that's kind of up in the air right now. (laughs) There's the whole, the Vikings are stepping in right now trying to be the fly in the ointment in our retention of Ryan Bates. But uh, when you look at this, when I'm looking at RAS scores, Williams was never a hyper-athletic player. He was just very technically sound when he was an offensive tackle, and that was good. It worked. You know, do you see that game against the Steelers in 2019 when he just shuts down T.J. Watt? That's a thing. He's very. He was very good in that game, and he was very good at it. 2020, he did a great job of... Ha- or 2020, that's what it is. Handling T.J. Watt. Then you kind of look at when you shifted him inside, and to your point, he's not an athlete. He's just a technician. So his great feet, his technical skill with hand placement, and all that, that's good in a phone booth, but if you're trying to expand beyond that, it becomes problematic. His okay 5.9 scores, like they're not good when you look at his RAS profile. In some cases, he scored really poorly. I mean, three cone drills, explosive drills. He was anywhere from 5.9 to 3.5. <laughs> he was terrible in lateral agility. 
And then he sustains some injuries over the course of his career, so that RAS score gets further impacted by just wear and tear of the NFL. He may not be the lateral athlete that you need to run that type of scheme. The guy that they're replacing him with here in Roger Saffold is almost his antithesis. It's like you you took that and put it on its head. So when you look at the offensive line with Roger Saffold included, and if you can maintain Rick Bates, you've now got what Deion Dawkins as the lowest RAS scored player on the offensive line. Whereas Dawkins has been, he's he's Chris pretty good to very good when we need him to be. Yeah, Deion Dawkins has a seven point nine RAS score, which is the lowest on our projected starters for next year. That's easily the best that we've fielded since the drought started. And that gives you the ability to do more things on offense in this zone-based thing that, to Bruce's point, you see that at the end of the season there in 2021. You know, pe- People look back at that, that last game against the Jets when you go, wait a minute, you ran a screen pass and it got 18 yards. That was never happening before. Yeah, because you didn't have a left guard that could pull out into space and block for them. It's it's an incredible departure from what we had. And I guess, so when you look at what we could be fielding if we retain Ryan Bates or if we can find a player in that mold to slot in athletically, I obviously we expect to see more zone blocking. Combined with Allen's own athleticism and just his ability to avoid sacks and pressure, how big of an addition is this player at the expense of Darrell Williams to the growth of this offensive line as a legitimate contender. I think it makes a bigger deal in the run game than it does in a pass game. I think there's a trickle-down effect through the run game. I think that the ability of Saffold to understand Cromer's system and be able to help other people learn it, I think, matters. You see this in coaching staffs across the NFL historically. You'll see a coaching staff take over, and then you'll see them bring in a player or two who knows their system really well. You saw this from Rex Ryan and Jim Leonard, where he would just bring them along and go, hey, Jim, uh, yeah, teach everybody my system. And now, of course, Jim Leonard ended up being a defensive coordinator in college, yes. a very good one, because of the head on his soldiers that allowed him to communicate uh, defensive concepts to his fellow players. So when I look at Roger Saffold, I think it's going to matter in the run game. I don't think it's going to matter in the pass game a ton. Saffold isn't known as being an, a really, really good pass blocker. And Darrell Williams wasn't bad as a pass blocker. So I don't think you're going to see a huge jump there. I think the run game is really the piece there. I think the biggest question to me is, Devin Singletary is not really much of a zone runner. I think there's a possibility there's still a running back addition here. I'm not calling anything. I don't have sources. I'm just saying right now, if I'm reading the tea leaves, I still don't think it's going to be Devin Singletary well, the as pursuit RB1 of the, the, for the Buffalo Bills. The pursuit of McKissick and his athleticism and his profile almost tells you they're still looking for something. Bruce, is this free agency or the draft that they're going to do that? I wouldn't be surprised if it was one or the other. I wouldn't be surprised if it was both. Um, the fact that Rashad Penny is still out there makes me wonder. Rashad Penny is a very, very good zone runner who has the explosiveness and that one-cut burst that you look for. He's an incredibly dynamic athlete, and the longer it goes along, the more depressed the market might be for him. So, again, not calling something, just saying that if it's true that the Bills want to do more zone running, they might need another running back to do it with. That's fair. That's fair. Now, I'm interested to see what they do on that front. But moving on to the next free agent signing, 
Tight end O.J. Howard. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, even though I probably could, because my love affair with this player, I mean, I can still recall drinking a 12-pack and a whole bottle of $8 champagne. Now, Bruce, I don't know how big of a drinker you are, but you can probably imagine what a morning after $8 champagne feels like. Uh, <laughs> watching Jake Coker and O.J. Howard massacre Clemson in the secondary on route to one of the most fun national title victories I've watched Alabama play. I, I, I guess I, w- I assumed that he would come into the NFL and just continue being this dominant physical presence. And it was smoke and mirrors. He did. He vanished. I mean, and then you look at his production, his targets and yardage has declined every year that he's been a pro. He's, he's literally football's Benjamin Button. He, 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 his, like, normally you're like, he's the reverse Dawson Knox where you go, well, he only saw so many targets and so many catches and blah, blah, and it improves. He's gone the inverse. Obviously he's in a stacked offense with other tight ends that just, then they added the year that everyone thought that OJ Howard was going to be the guy they brought in Gronk and that put him on the back burner. It, a lot of things went wrong for O.J. Howard in Tampa. Injuries, the whole nine. But he's been an NFL non-factor. I I guess I just, how much does this move, knowing that he has a physical profile to maybe be an impact tight end, but there's no guarantee that he's anything, that he's more than a blip on the radar. How settled do you think this tight end room is with his addition? Do you think that they still go into the draft and maybe even the later part of free agency, the second second wave after the draft and maybe look to add something here? Or do you think OJ Howard means enough that they don't pursue that any further? I think you might want to add somebody just from a number standpoint, but I do think that OJ Howard's very likely to be the TE2 this year. Um, he's better than Tommy Sweeney. And I think that the point that is important to make when it boils down to tight ends and running and passing out of 12 personnel is what makes it work is the dual threat nature of the tight ends. What we've run into now is we have tight ends who are so specialized, whether they're blockers or whether they're slot receivers like Mike Jusecki, for example. Mike Jusecki is not a tight end. Mike Jusecki is a slot wide receiver who's big. Yes. Right. That's that's what he is. Right. So he's far more David Nelson than he is Rob Gronkowski. And that's not a knock on Mike Jusecki. It's just not what he is. One of the things that if you say I'm going to run out of 12 personnel, I'm going to roll out a lot of 12 personnel. The thing that makes it work is the ability to flex dynamic athletes in tight to the formation and have them block or be able to flex them out wide and be able to have them be a threat from a dynamic standpoint with their athleticism. If they cannot do both, then what's the point? If they can't do both, you might might as well roll out either the better blocker, either you roll out Lee Smith or you roll out Cole Beasley. Like, those are your options at that point. The thing that makes 12 personnel really work is the ability of these players to do both. Have Dawson Knox, have O.J. Howard. I don't know if you know this or not, but O.J. Howard is one of the best pass-blocking tight ends in football. Yes. It's a very strange dynamic. But he has to be because he played for Bruce Arians. Yep. And Bruce Arians has no interest in throwing the ball to tight ends. And the only reason why Rob Gronkowski did is because it was Tom Brady. Yep. But Bruce Arians famously said in 2015, why would I throw the ball to a tight end when I have a receiver? (laughs) He said, those guys are there to block. (laughs) 
Like he openly said this. It was a running joke when Bruce Arians got to Tampa. Everyone's like, well, there goes OJ Howard's career because they were like, well, he's not going to get the ball. And then the only reason the tight ends got the ball was because it was Gronk and Tom Brady. And so OJ Howard has dealt with a bad hand where he had some injuries and he had some other career issues that popped up due to circumstances beyond his control. Now, that's not an excuse. It's not a scenario where you go, oh, well, he's going to break out. But if you got to take a flyer on somebody at $3.5 million a year, given what's happening to the tight end market right now, <laughs> oh, my gosh, did you see what Ian Thomas t- well, that signed was, for? That was going to be my other question. $8 million for Will D- Drisley. <laughs> Will Drisley. That one was, eight million. That, that's my point. Like, there's this. We talked about it a little bit with DJ Snyder from over at Bootleg Football, but the tight end market is this weird animal all of a sudden, and it happened out of nowhere. The Ian Thomas deal was the impetus, and now you see Will Disley getting paid, and now the Bills fans who love Dawson Knox are rubbing their hands together, going, "Oh my God, <laughs> what? What is what?" Like we see Travis Kelsey getting paid, what could Dawson Knox cost us? What what's going to happen? Tight end has become a weird animal because every team values it and uses it differently. And if you're the Buffalo Bills, I don't know what that means because we just saw the oh, what Chris Dawson Knox last year was the most dynamic tight end we've seen in how many years? Pete Metzlars. Okay. Fair. I love and I like that I like that you went with Metzelars. Yeah, big red. Big red. <laughs> what 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 I I guess I look at is we've got a guy. We needed another guy who could also be a dynamic athlete, because to your point, that's what makes twelve personnel threatening. But you look at the pay and you go, okay, we only paid three five for him, which feels like a steal now in retrospect of where the market's going. We need to be able to, f- uh, I don't know, we need to be able to do something to defray what Dawson Knox is going to cost. And I don't think we can pay to bring anybody else better in here. So if there's any other additions coming, it's via the draft. And I just, my fear is that if, I don't know, Dawson Knox has a big season, what happens next? Do you think in the draft, this is something that we also have to double dip at? Like, hey, free agency and the draft, just in case. Dawson Knox can't be retained. I don't think that Brandon Bean has any intention at all of letting Dawson Knox out of the building. Okay. After the work that he put in to draft and develop and sign there. I mean, that's Brandon traded Bean up to get him specific, traded specifically up to get him. goes very, very specifically goes to the well very infrequently. In free agency, it makes big splashes. I mean, he makes one big splash this year. Two years ago, he made one big splash, but it was a trade, right? It's not overly frequent where he goes and huge, huge, massive big splash, right? Mitch Morse was a fairly reasonable splash. But these have, Brandon Bean's not hyper-aggressive. He's not hyper-conservative. He's fairly moderate, but he believes in drafting and developing. There is no way that a homegrown tight end like Dawson Knox is going to get out the building. They'll tag him if they have to. They'll, they might let Tremaine Edmonds walk if they have to. But they're not going to let Dawson Knox get out of this building without signing him. I just, I just don't believe it. I, you know what, Chris? I'm, I have to believe that, right? Yeah, for somebody that didn't like the pick. 
I hated the pick. Yeah, Bruce, Drew and I have I hated a, the pick, and I also hated the Devil's Singletary pick. Yeah, Here we well, are. We have, Bruce, Drew and I have... I hate all picks. We they, have a uh, running bet through the lifetime of Dawson Knox being here to where if he is ever Drew's hero of the game, Drew has to drink a Seagram's. He cost me two last year, and it pushed me that much closer to being Wilford Brimley in the diabetes category. Like, it's... That makes like, sense. I've, I've got a limited timeline on these Seagram's bets. Making a lifetime bet was probably a bad choice. Um, so moving on to the def- defensive side of the ball. A triple scoop of defensive tackles with a sprinkle of nostalgia. <laughs> first of all, Daquan Jones. The first thing I saw about Daquan Jones signing here wasn't a tweet from Diana Rossini. She was the one who originally broke the move. It wasn't Schefter. It wasn't... A- it was a tweet from someone who follows us named Cam with a K, and he goes by the Chumley with three E's, which I'm assuming is a callback to what, Pawn Stars? I think so. That's the show. And it was Uno card that says, don't get a player from Carolina this year or draw 25. And then on the other side of the meme, it's Brandon Bean holding 80 Uno cards. <laughs> now... <laughs> Literally, I thought that the Buffalo to like the Carolina to Buffalo pipeline would die with all of the front office people that Brandon Bean was familiar with kind of taking their leave, going other ways. The growth of that franchise on its own trajectory after he and uh, Sean McDermott had left. How do we still end up with a Panther on this team? (laughs) Random luck of the draw at this point, because (laughs) there is no connection at all between Daquan Jones and Brandon Bean. There's no overlap at all with his time in Carolina, which was only one year, and anybody on the staff. There's There's no. I mean, Eric Washington didn't coach him. Brandon Bean didn't scout him. (laughs) Sean McDermott didn't coach him. Ken Dorsey wasn't in the same building as him. Like, there's no connection at all. It's just just the helmet. This is really a Tennessee Titans sort of connection, much more so than it is a Carolina Panthers connection. So I'm not sure how it happened. This is just a, a random one. Uh, I guess the pipeline's really been shut off, but it's still, you know, it's a little bit like when you when you shut off your faucet, but then it still drips a little bit, you know, <laughs> a couple more times before you're done. You know, it's like no matter how you shake and dance, the last few drops end up on your pants, right? It's the same concept. It's the exact same concept. Brandon Bean is at the urinal, right? And he's like, oh, I'm done. Oh, wait, no, hold on. And th- that's what this is. That's what it is. It's the urinal drip. Then you get Tim Settle. Now, our friends over at the 50 Gut Podcast covering the Commanders or the Washington football team or whatever the hell they are. The Redskins. Tweeted us shortly after this one got announced, asking us to take care of their boy. And so I was like, well, if you feel affectionately about him, why don't you tell me a little bit more about what he brought to your football team? And this is what Paul had to say. He said, I don't want to oversell it, but I think he's really damn good. Probably needed to play more and would have if he wasn't in a room with Alan Payne and Iadonis. Or Ionitis, Ionitis, either either way, he doesn't play there anymore, so it doesn't (laughs) disgruntledly so. Uh, Thought he'd be good versus the run as a three technique out of Vodtech, but really got better each year as a pass rusher. Only negative I really think of for you guys is he's never been a full-time starter for an extended period and sometimes was quiet when he had to spot start. His rotational production was better than when he was a 20 to 25 snap per game player. It seems to be better for us because don't we play our D tackles in rotation? Exactly. And then Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network said this, said Tim Settle was a case of 
only so many snaps to go around, uber-talented deep tackle who will play himself into a larger contract, true three-down potential in Buffalo. But then Mike Garofolo of NFL Network had this to say. Tim Settle, defensive lineman for the Washington Commanders. Washington wants to retain him. Here's the problem with Settle. Um, he's playing on an extremely deep defensive line, or has played an extremely deep. Oh, yeah. He's played 1,000 snaps over the last four years as a way of comparison. Jonathan Allen's played 3,000. So Settle, I believe, is a fifth-round pick for them. Had five sacks a couple of years ago when he played 33% of the snaps because Matt Ioannidis got hurt. So this is a guy who's been extremely productive. He just hasn't had the chance to do it. Now, he's going to get a really uh, good deal for a guy that hasn't played much. He'll probably get five, six million per year. It'll probably be a short-term deal, though, because he wants to go somewhere where he's got a chance to play a bunch to set himself up for that big contract going forward. You take his production in a small period of time and compare it to guys uh, who play much. I mean, Aaron Donald, we can do that whole thing with a defensive lineman. He's a really good player, and he's going to get an opportunity to play somewhere. Mike Garofolo, Good Morning Football, NFL Network. And then there's the return of Jordan Phillips. (laughs) And it was almost a fairly poetic move. And you've seen a couple of these now. He was the prodigal son of the Bills defensive tackle room. He broke the news on his own. Just said, hey, guys, (laughs) hours before the real fireworks let off, he went on social media and said, hey, I'm coming home. Posted pictures of himself in a Bills jersey and just said, guys, it's happening. Before anyone could even, like, corroborate the fact that he was signing he himself said hey i'm coming back buffalo he's coming off two mediocre seasons with the cardinals but he's going to bring energy and an established track record of pass rush success in this defense does am i crazy to think that it reminds me a little bit of peerless price like, hey, i had my best days when i was wearing a bills uniform and i kind of i parlayed that into my money and then when that didn't pan out i'm going to come back no, I don't think it's insane. I think the Alvin Harper syndrome is a big part of free agency. The idea that really good threes can be twos and really good twos can be ones. And really good rotational defensive linemen can extrapolate that to a full-time starter. Yes. And that was one of the arguments with Jordan Phillips when he left was I may I wrote an article for BuffaloRumblings.com where I said, hey, I, I wouldn't give Jordan Phillips $10 million a year. And a lot of Bills Mafia was not pleased with me. And Jordan Phillips himself commented and said he was not pleased with me either. So I'm sure he's not going to be calling me to catch up. But Jordan Phillips was a perfectly reasonable rotational three-check defensive tackle. In fact, I would argue that there's a lot of similarities between Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle. They both bring great energy. They're both really good in effective rotational roles. When you ask them to do a lot of things and stay on the field for a lot of snaps, then there's a possibility that they're effectiveness could diminish and i'm not sure i want to give either one of them the bag at this point in their career but the difference is that tim settle's still very 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 young he's 24 years old oh wow so i think there's a oh yeah i think there's a there's a line there that connects the two of them a little bit and i'm pleased to have both of them back you know and I'm 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 good with Jordan Phillips coming back. I wasn't good with giving him ten million dollars a year, but I'm very good with giving him a one year deal to come back and be part of this rotation. I'm big fan of him as a three tech rotational defensive tackle. I think he brings great energy. I think he brings good pass rush. I think that when you, if you're an offensive lineman and it's the fourth quarter and you're tired and you've been going wave after wave after wave and you see big Jordan Phillips trotting in off the sideline. 
you're going to roll your eyes and go, son of a... <laughs> right? And that's good. That's good because he's coming in and he's getting the crowd piped up. Pump up. You're like, dude, can, can I just... Can I just have a break for just a second? Just, You're like, listen, I'm we're all professionals tired. out here. We're just and, doing a job. I, my most vivid memory, to your point, that Pittsburgh sideline in 2019, that game where we go on Sunday Night Football, and he's animated. It's the it's the late quarter. It's, it, you're talking about deep in the fourth quarter. He's jumping around on the sideline. He's picking up Isaiah McKenzie off the ground and lifting. He is a man on fire. And then he's running out there onto the football field to go make impact plays for our football team. Like, he was that guy in those moments. And to know that he doesn't have to be the guy, quote unquote, now. Right? He doesn't have to be that guy. Yeah, I would agree with that. He doesn't have to be the guy. He just was the A guy. Yes. And now that he's gotten the money, that really probably helps a little bit. Yeah. You know, now that he can just be, he'd be a guy instead of the guy. And he said it in his press conference here. He said, you know, you're playing for more than money. And guess what? It's a lot easier to make the decision to play for more than money when, you got when you've already gotten the money. <laughs> That's it. When you've made a bunch of money, it's easy. To, I, I joke about this all the time in, in a lot of other facets of life. It's easy to say, I don't, you, it's not all about the little things. When you have the little things, when you have those covered, yes. It, it's easy to say that. So in terms of this kind of concerted effort to rebuild this interior defensive line, you look at this and you go, okay, now we have three new bodies. We have Ed Oliver, we have Eli Anku, and Brandon Bryant all under contract. I'm going to assume that it's not crazy for me to think that, uh, first of all, I lucked out that no one took me up on my Star Latula not being released back because that's, Bruce, how... How likely is that now? Given the fact that Brandon Bean said, um, no, sorry, Sean McDermott actually said, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll just take it one. I'm like, okay, well, that's not promising. Well, that's not good. So this feels to me like potentially a, you know, potentially a, a June 1st release or maybe a retirement, perhaps, to be able to spread out those yeah. dead cap hits over the next two years. Uh, that feels like that when you when someone says, so where does Starla Tule fit? And he goes, I don't know. We'll see. That's not really a strong endorsement. <laughs> also, it tells me that the team probably won't be prioritizing defensive tackle in the first f- 60 picks of the draft. Yeah, I think the people who were hoping for Jordan Davis are going to be dis- disappointed. Yeah, it tells me that they think like and, and but here's something that I've thought all along when people keep saying, well, the Bills need to take a first round interior lineman. The Bills need to take an interior tackle in the tech. They did. They took one under Brandon Bean. They said, hey, Ed Oliver is our guy. <laughs> I think one of the things, though, on the offensive side, like this is something that like if you're reading the tea leaves, you talk about looking at historical building a body of work for a GM and saying, OK, I've learned a little bit about who this person is. I remember going into the 2019 season back in 2018. They were talking about how people who had gotten Brandon Bean's ear and said, what do you think about this guy in the draft or that guy in the draft or building a team? His thing was, I need to know that offensive linemen can perform on an NFL level. That probably should have told people that there was no massive youth movement coming in the draft at offensive line until he thought the line was at such a point that he could do so. The defensive, like all this defensive spending tells me he didn't believe that this draft would bear as much fruit as he needed to really push the envelope. 
And so in that way, he says, listen, we're not going to go through the draft. I need guys who I know can do the job at a high level. And that brings me to Harrison Phillips. When you look at the, the fact that we let him go, and then we brought these three defensive tackles in, there was a lot of fans who were miffed, or at least, or at least sad. You know, sad that Harrison Phillips, homegrown talent, he had a sentimental place in everybody's heart. He was good. We hate to see him go. But all of these players over the last three seasons of their careers have established a higher baseline of production than Harrison Phillips had in his best season. Have we reached a point where we as a franchise can get rid of nostalgia and start looking at, hey, this is what we need to do to win? Is that a dynamic that you see playing out here? Yeah, I do. I think that you always want to draft and develop because I think that you get bargains. If you look at some of the extensions that were signed by players back to their own teams before free agency started, they're all a lot better of deals than what was signed on the open market. So drafting and developing is a really good way to avoid massive misses, and it's a good way to get better value. So that's good. But you shouldn't extend someone because they're nice. And that's true. Now, I'm not saying that the reason you would extend Harrison Phillips is because he's nice. That's not what I'm saying. Harrison Phillips had a very, very good stretch in the back half of 2021 in regards to one-tech play. However, there is a significant injury concern with Harrison Phillips. And I find it ironic that Daquan Jones has basically never missed any significant time due to an injury ever in his career. And I think that that matters. So I think that when you're looking at the decision on Harrison Phillips, you have to take that into consideration. This is a guy who had a great season this season, but was still playing on a torn PCL when he did it. So even when he was good, he was still being hurt. And eventually that that matters to people. Now, I was in favor of re-signing Harrison Phillips, not necessarily for the amount that the Minnesota Vikings signed him for. But yeah, we can absolutely let go of nostalgia. Now, you guys know me by now. I'm not really much of a nostalgic person myself. It's one of the things that gets me in trouble. It's one of the things that causes me to write articles that say, don't give Jordan Phillips the bag and then have everybody tell me that I'm a freaking loser. And guess what? I was right and you all were wrong. So take your lap, nice sir. But take your lap. You know what? I, you know what? I deserve my victory lap on that. You one. do. So, and for me, it's a matter of understanding that you can still treat athletes like human beings, even when you're saying you're not going to resign them. Think about this for a second. The Buffalo Bills had two players who they let walk in free agency. They chose not to resign them. They chose not to tag them, both of whom were coming off career seasons at positions of need who went and got the bag elsewhere. Both of them ended up coming back two years later. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Browns are having quite a time with their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, because they didn't they decided, well, you know, what? we're, we're going to date around and just see what's going on there. We're really not going to tell you what's going on. <laughs> we're really going to date around. And then he says, well, I want to trade. They say no. That like, was... How do you think players react to that? Yeah, there was a great text that was sent from somebody to Benjamin Albright, who is an NFL insider who works in Denver. And they said, you know, for an Ivy League educated group of people, sometimes the Browns front office really doesn't do smart things because there's a human element to this. So you can simultaneously let go of nostalgia, but also treat players like human beings as such that even when they leave, they're okay coming back. The fact that you have players circling back 
is not common in the NFL. We need to understand that. Circling back to previous teams is not common because of how hard it is to compartmentalize the Miami Dolphins offered me $10 million a year and the Buffalo Bills offered me $5 million a year. Yep. I feel disrespected. Jack Lawson. I feel horrible. I feel like the Miami Dolphins must like me way better. It's nice to be wanted. Screw them. It's so hard to separate that. And the fact that Brandon Bean got not one, but two of those players to circle back speaks to how he can treat them like individuals while also still saying, listen, hey, you know what? I can't get to that offer, right? But I wish you the best. Yep. And I hope we can stay in touch. This is the ultimate let's break up but still be friends. It never works except when Brandon (laughs) Bean does it. Chris, how many girlfriend? How many ex girlfriends do you think he has that he still is like all of when, them? When when he sees him in public, he can shoot him finger guns, and they're just like, "Hey!" and they wave. All and of it's them. It's not awkward. All of them. How how many exes do you have like that? Zero. They can all <laughs> kick rocks. I would like to say that I actually have a couple exes like that. Just so you know, I have one who I'm like that with. She still hates my guts. But I'm super confident shooting her finger guns whenever I see her in public. <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. So the impact of these signings on Ed Oliver, when we talk about him, because this room, like, okay, you've signed three guys, you've brought them back, they have varying skill sets, but the crown jewel then becomes Ed Oliver, coming off one of his be- his best season as a professional who really ramped up at the end of the year. You started to see more consistency in what they thought he would be when they drafted him in the top 10. How do you think the depth chart shakes out? Who Who's playing most predominantly with him, do you think? As a starter. I think there's a very reasonable, I think there's a very reasonable possibility that Star Latule is not here. So it, let's assume for a second that he's not, in which case it would be Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones as your starters and it would be settle and Jordan Phillips as your backups at defensive tackle. And then on the end you'd have Vaughn Miller and you would have Gregory Rousseau. And then behind Vaughn, you'd have AJ Epinesa and behind Gregory Rousseau, you'd have Boogie Basham and Shaq Lawson. And that would be your five and four. And that would be your nine offensive linemen. One of the reasons why I don't think we're going to draft two maybe one in the day three or something like that is because you, you pretty much got your numbers now. That's fair. I mean, I just, I look at this and I'm interested to see how that defensive tackle room evolves. If they don't like some of the size that some of these backup guys bring over the energy that a guy like Tim Settle has, although his, the term of his deal makes him seem like he's going to be here for a while. But you just said a name. The name. The name that makes all of this worth talking about. Von Miller. The Silver Tuna. And a philosophical outlier unto itself for the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to level with you. When word of this broke, I couldn't have been farther away from the world of football. I was literally with my son, my less than two-year-old son, scrubbing marinara sauce out of his eyebrows in the bathtub because for some reason he has a pretty solid handle on forks and spoons at this point in his development 
but he's convinced that pasta is a finger food and that marinara makes for a great exfoliant. It ends up in his hair, on his face. It's like war paint for this kid, and I don't understand what it is. So I'm, I'm elbows deep in the tub, and my phone is on the counter of the sink, and I get a text message, and it vibrates, and I go, okay, well, it doesn't matter. And then another text, and another text, and then it's double buzzing. So there's, I know that that's Facebook messages and Twitter DMs. And then the phone starts ringing, and it rings its way into the sink. And I'm just like, okay. My initial thought is either someone's dead, in which case I'm busy, and that person isn't going to be any less dead in 15 minutes when I'm done here <laughs> giving my kid a bath and wrangling him into pajamas. Or I've missed something incredible. Luckily for me and everyone in my family, like, and the dozens of people that I wish ill will upon on a regular basis, uh, it wasn't the latter. It was, first of all, your immediate reaction, to, like, your reaction, what were you doing when you heard the news? Yeah, we're going to need uh, city, state, uh, <laughs> any addresses. If you're in the car, we're going to need license plate numbers, all that information, where you were when Von Miller signed. I was pulling into the garage okay. of my home when that happened. I was pulling into the garage, and I looked down at my phone when I was going to get out of the car, and it just said, Ian Rappaport said, Von Miller to the Bills. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, well, here we go. And I walked in, and I said hello to my wife, and I said, well, you're never going to believe this. And I, she goes, what? I said, Von Miller to the Bills. And she goes, oh, that's so great he's such a nice guy you know she saw him on dancing with the stars so of course she knows von miller and so she's a big fan of von miller and oh he's so rooting for him and she goes i can't believe it's so nice i said yes yes that's 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 very nice for for sure and i thought to myself you know this feels a lot like at the end of dumb and dumber when at the end of dumb and dumber they're talking to each other. Harry and Lloyd are talking to each other. And the, the conversation is had that just when I think you couldn't get any dumber, you go and do something like this <laughs> and totally redeem yourself because that's the way it was on Twitter that day. I mean, after J.D. McKissick decided to go back to the Washington Commanders and Chandler Jones decided to sign with the Raiders. The, the Bills Mafia on Twitter was down bad, man. Oh, they were down bad. bad. It was day. bad. It was a bad was, day. There were some bad things going on. <laughs> and then all of a sudden this happens and it's everything is forgiven. And then, of course, after the, the tequila shot, that was the Von Miller news. Then you got to chase it with orange juice, which is the O.J. Howard signing. It was a whole thing, man. It was a whole thing. So I was good with it. I, 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 on a scale from zero to ten, I was a seven. As far as excitement goes. All right. Well, that's that's good because, like, uh, I, I guess my thing, my wife was like, oh, my God, aren't you excited? And I was like, well, I'm, I still don't believe it's real. Like, I'm not going to con- – until I see the con- – and then some. she was like, no, he's on, he's on social media saying he signed with the bills. And I was like, all right, I guess I believe it now if it's coming straight from the horse's mouth. <sighs> Philosophically, the addition of a player this caliber – I'm going to ask you a question. Is it more important that he came to Buffalo or more important that he came to Buffalo because of Josh Allen? I mean, I'll frame it like this. 
because the latter still sticks with me when I think back over my lifetime as a Bills fan. Takeo Spikes. Nice ad. I remember when it happened. My friend came busting out of the shower butt naked when me and his brother told him that we signed Takeo Spikes. We were all excited, but it wasn't like he was just happy to go somewhere to get paid. Uh, T.O. came here and we all got excited, but he was here because he needed publicity to kick off his reality show. Mario Williams came because the Bills made him the highest paid defensive player in NFL history. Diggs. Diggs came to Buffalo, and that was exciting. But first of all, it wasn't of his own free will. And it was more because he was looking for anywhere but the frozen north up in Minnesota. And not so much because I love what Buffalo is. But here we are. We have a player who's so fucking likable. And just so incredibly otherworldly talented, first ballot Hall of Famer talented, that not only, like, like when you look at who Josh Allen is, I'm talking about, we as fans stand for him and love what he's done for us. He might be the first player since Jim Kelly, Thurman, or Bruce to carry a national sense of appreciation. And so... That guy chose Buffalo. I got drunk with uh, our friend Iman from Q42 Barbecue. I got drunk with him and his wife at a tailgate this year, and we got misty-eyed together and discussed the fact that, obviously money talks, but Josh Allen could have made this hard. He could have said, listen, the city of Buffalo, it's small, it's hurting my national appeal, it's hurting my outside... Uh, potential for advertising contracts and my national advertising things. And it's hurting my money. It's hurting my national profile. And I am one of the preeminent quarterbacks to touch this game. Ipso facto, I want to see what my options are. It never even got to that point. He wanted to be here. He wanted to be a star and he wanted to be a star here for Buffalo, New York. He picked us. And now because he picked us, other players of his caliber are picking Buffalo, New York. It's a dynamic that as a fan kind of leaves me a guy who's got more blush than the most tropical hurricanes <laughs> and a loss of words to articulate what it means to a long-suffering fan base who never thought we'd see this day. So to you, what does it mean to know that a player said, I want to be with that guy? I don't care. Sure, you know what it's going to cost, but I will eschew other offers because I want to be with that guy in that place. What does that mean to you as someone who's covered the team and done the things we've done and spun the plates we've spun and suffered the way our fan base has suffered? I think that sometimes when we think about the word culture, we don't really think about the main foundational pieces of it. We think about role players. We think about glue guys. We think about special teamers and great stories and people who fight their injuries. But the tenets of culture, the foundational pieces of culture are always going to be your general manager, your head coach, and your quarterback. Because they're the most visible, they have the most say, they have the most sway 
and they get the most publicity. And so when you look at a player like Josh Allen and you are a opposing player and you see him leap over a linebacker, you think to yourself, man, my, my quarterback wouldn't do that to help me stay off the field. My quarterback wouldn't do that to help me stay off the field. He wouldn't give up for the team. There's always this strange idea that quarterbacks can't really be part of the team because different rules apply to them. And the coach treats them differently. And the media treats them differently. And if a quarterback of the team isn't aware of that, if they are not taking every step necessary to be able to counteract the idea that the entire universe is trying to pull them away from their own team, if they don't know that, then they're going to end up being an outsider in their own locker room. And Josh Allen is known in that locker room as someone who individually can connect with other people. And this idea that you play for the person next to you works out great as long as the quarterback's part of it. But a lot of times the quarterback's not part of it. A lot of times the quarterback's not part of it. It's, well, yeah, we play for each other. Oh, and then there's Bob over there. Oh, there's Jim over there. Here's the quarterback. Different rules apply to that guy. But it's rare to have a quarterback who feels integral to the part of the team the way that Josh Allen does. And so other players feel that too. The way that Josh Allen leaps up off of his seat and runs to the sideline to congratulate a third string special teams player (laughs) who just made a great tackle. That crap matters because you don't feel so distant. You don't feel like it's the haves and the have-nots. Because for a brief second, you could forget the fact that this guy's making $45 million a year <laughs> and you're making $450,000 a year. For a brief second, you forget that. And that matters. And that's part of culture. It's being able to have someone who makes $45 million a year connect with someone who's a ball boy. Yep. That matters. And so Josh Allen can do that. And that stuff matters. Sean McDermott can do that, and that stuff matters. Brandon Bean can do that, and that stuff matters. And so those three pillars can create a scenario where Vaughn Miller and other players go, you know what, I want that. And they talk. Players talk. They talk to each other. Hey, Tredavious, what's it like there? Oh, man, let me just tell you. Right? Jordan Phillips says, our kids play together. Yep. Our kids play together. It's not a really disconnected room where everyone's got their own agendas and their own things going on. It feels tight knit. You've heard about Sean McDermott getting players up in training camp and having them tell their stories so that people can connect with each other so that they can see each other as human beings. I go back to that letter. And that's what I mentioned earlier. That open letter that Deion Dawkins wrote in the Players' Tribune after our loss to Houston when he said, listen, guys, we're, we're putting down roots here. Like, this is real. We, like, we're a family. We don't want to go anywhere. We, we believe in this. Like, this is just the start of something. Don't worry. And at the time, we're all like, okay, that's, that's great that you feel that way, and we feel better about you personally, but that doesn't erase what happened. But now you look at what this team has become because of those moments. Like, it took all of that. It took that loss in Kansas City for Josh to come back and go, hey, Okay, I'm down by 10 points. We're not doing well. Uh, 
I'm going to throw a 75-yard touchdown on first down. Why? Because I can now. And none of this phases me. And my wide receivers trust me. My offensive line. Like, he's taken command. I think the best thing I heard was Josh Allen was a robot built from the future, sent back in time to destroy Patrick Mahomes. And like the movie Terminator 2, it almost worked. It almost worked. He just barely escaped. It... That's what he is. And so on a national level to know that players, Von Miller's, his status, are willing to come here because they want to be with him, we're incredibly lucky. Now, statistically, when you just look at what his usage might be, okay, he was the third highest rated edge player in 2021 despite his age. A lot of the internet whining about his signing, I I, I don't know. <laughs> When I look at what his specific rush style is, it looks like it's something that will age gracefully, correct? Edge rushers historically have aged gracefully because so much of the job is about technique and vision as opposed to raw athleticism, which, yes. mind you, he, he is a dynamic has. athlete and takes great care of himself. So I think that's going to that's going to happen. But you've seen pass rushers play well into their mid 30s because of how much the game is about understanding the stance and the reading the leverage and vision of the pocket and things like that and moves and counter moves. And a lot of it happens above the neck. And that's what when you hear people say, oh, he doesn't rush with the plan or he rushes with the plan. A lot of what it takes to be a really good pass rusher happens above the neck. And because of that, it ages pretty well. Um, when you see Anthony Prohaska putting videos on Twitter where he's like, oh, hey, he chains moves together, you know, and he showed some clips where it's like, hey, uh, here's a rush where he's using power to the outside shoulder on one rep. And then the tackle, like, OK, he tried to bully me to the outside. He fakes it and then spins across the guy's face and gets a sack in the next play. It's like that's what Von Miller is still. He still has that. Never mind size, power, athleticism. I think one of the best things about Greg Rousseau in his rookie season, right? He didn't flash a ton as a pass rusher, which is to be expected. He was raw. But he was incredibly reliable against the run. Something every defensive end has to be in a Sean McDermott defense. He finished first in the entire NFL for run stops for a defensive end at 35. Von Miller finished 2021 as the second highest rated edge versus the run. And ninth in the NFL with 23 run stops. Do they become our base tandem? Yes. Okay. What happens beyond them? I don't think it's debatable. What happens beyond them? Do we still need to add more talent? Or do you think the Epinesa-Basham mix back there is enough to go into the season with a few placeholders going to training camp? I'm completely fine with Miller, Rousseau, Basham, Epinesa, Lawson. Love right now. See, that's it's going to be interesting to see how they play this out. Because I just feel like not having Jerry Hughes as a part of this, it almost feels foreign. But again, as we talked about, sometimes you have to hemorrhage some of these guys who are nice guys. But you you did a job and you did it well and you got us to this point. But we've grown past that point. And now you're no longer needed. I, I just, it's weird. Final thoughts for tonight as we close this show. Wins and losses in football are incredibly binary. 
But all the prep work that gets done by front offices and scouting departments and everything else this time of year, it it's anything but. There's no way to quantify it. It's subjective, and the results are rarely what they appear to be. Because if winning the offseason had a direct correlation to in-season success, Philly wouldn't have been waiting until, like, the 2010s for their first title. The Dolphins would have five rings since Stephen Ross bought their franchise back in 2008. Uh, According to a recent piece from PFF, it was an analytical thing, only two teams have spent the same amount of money as the Dolphins in free agency since 2013, $450 million. And yet the wins above replacement rate of the players have gotten is sixth lowest in the NFL. Brandon Bean has historically used free agency not to take home run swings, but to retool the roster and just kind of I want to set a base level of talent so that I can head into the draft. You're, in the analogy we started with the show with, your sit-down Chinese restaurant, the NFL draft, best situated to take advantage of whatever value the draft board brings to him. He approached this with a different level of urgency. In your opinion, how does the way being handled... This free agent period, like what does it tell you about his understanding, not just of where we are positionally, but his growth as a GM since he took the job? I think it's different when you have your quarterback locked up. Brandon Bean talked a lot about that because when you have your franchise quarterback locked up and that's the biggest cap hits you're going to see for a long time at very rare times moving forward are you going to have someone with a bigger cap hit in any given year than Josh Allen once his extension hits. But once you've seen that, you can build the cap hits of the contracts you sign around Josh Allen's cap hit. Oh, well, it's going to be a little lower here. Okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll convert Josh Allen that year and we'll lower his base salary here. You know, we'll convert it to a signing bonus there. We'll cut 10 million off and then we'll go ahead and put this guy's cap hit that year and make up for it there. And once you have the biggest piece, it's a little bit like when you build a puzzle. When you build a puzzle, there is a best way to go about doing it. And the best way to go about doing it is to build the edges of the jigsaw puzzle first, the flat edges. And then once you do that, you can fill in the rest based upon what you know about the size and spacing of the individual picture that you're working on. It's the exact same thing with Josh Allen's contract. Josh Allen's contract is the edges of the jigsaw puzzle for Brandon Bean. And so I think it almost gives him not necessarily carte blanche, but it gives him a little bit more aggression now that he knows where the bumpers are. It's like playing bumper bowling, right? When you're playing bumper bowling, you just kind of, well, you know. I I throw it down there. If I screw it up, the bumper will get it, you know, (laughs) but there's just a different vibe to it. Of course, that never happens to me because I don't ever hit the bumpers. But if I were to hit the bumpers, I would feel better knowing that it's there. And I would feel maybe a little bit more aggressive in trying some crazy stuff, trying some trick shots because I know where my bumper is. And that is the way that Brandon Bean kind of alluded to the way he feels knowing that you have your contract locked up for your franchise quarterback no that's fair because to your point star quarterback check multiple all pro and pro bowl defensive starters check highly impactful offensive players check the tag of super bowl favorites (laughs) check 
the Buffalo Bills have checked a lot of boxes. He's done a great job of resurrecting what was a perennially up and down roster that everyone just did. They were a nine and eight, <laughs> a nine and eight team waiting to happen every year. Now they are a powerhouse. He built that. And then he took a look and said, to your point, he's like, hey, now that I know what this thing is, because there was this fear. There was a lot of talk amongst fans that, well, it can't get better or our GM is this or our coach is this or this is what we're always going to be as a franchise. This is the day that he showed us he has a second gear, a genuine understanding of how hard it is to align all the stars that he has over over the course of his career as a GM. And a kind of fearlessness to say, I'm willing to put all my chips at the center of the table and hope I don't get dealt a bad beat on the river because I'm fairly confident I can win this. It's something that Bills fans everywhere will take delight in. And I think it's, it's worth noting that our decision makers at the highest level have a mastery of not just how to build a team from the rubble of failed franchises, but also the ability to recognize that high-risk reward decisions ultimately have to be made. If you're trying to accomplish, bring uh, Lombardis don't just get handed to you, <laughs> right? If every pragmatic GM who tried to build a cap-solvent competitive team won a trophy, there still wouldn't be, Chris, how many how many franchises don't have a Super Bowl yet? Uh, I don't know. There may, less, I think it's less than 10. But there still wouldn't be 10 that don't have one. We know the Lions won't ever have one. <laughs> you, At some point, you have to be assertive and you have to go take that Super Bowl trophy. You have to take that step that gets you to that point. And I love seeing that our GM recognizes that he's there. Hey, I have this worked out. I've aligned to the stars and now it's time to take my shot. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I, if it doesn't land, it doesn't land. But I'm going to take my shot. Like Wiley Coyote strapping himself into the slingshot. He's ready to roll. I love that. And with that, Chris, I want to close this podcast by raising a glass to the eternally revered contractual gangster Brandon Bean. And I want to finish with an Irish toast because it is St. Patty's Day. Here's to the whiskey always in your glass and to the loving of a very fine lass. And in the morning, may she look the same. And if not, here's to booze taking all the blame. (laughs) Bruce, I'm sure you're going to have an incredible amount of content coming out in the next two to three weeks about this wave of free agency, about what this means for the franchise. Everyone knows where they can find you, but why don't you reiterate it for those of uh, the people who might be living under a rock? Well, if you have listened to my delightful ramblings this evening and you somehow think, gosh, I want more of that guy, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. My show, The Bruce Exclusive, drops on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network on Thursday mornings. And my live show, Food for Thought, as previously referenced, is on Friday evenings at 9 p.m. on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel. Bruce Nolan, the Bruce exclusive Food for Thought podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Network on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. <sighs> Chris, we still have to air our AFC's Roundup podcast. We're going to take a look around the division and see how everybody else feels. Uh, Bill's fans feel really good today. 
we still have to talk about how <laughs> everyone else in the division feels straight from the horse's mouth for some of our favorite podcasters from around the division. Also, our 400th podcast, Chris, as advertised, you have some some, some treats in store for our listeners. Yep. I'm going to play the three phone calls that I have of Drew where he called into WGR. One from like <laughs> one was from 2016, and oh, the other yeah, two I... were from September of 2014. Oh, no. Pre-podcast era. Also, we'll be continuing with our Twitter Spaces live show next week. Uh, we're going to be taking your opinions on free agency. We're going to be talking winners and losers. Uh, talking about the impending stadium deal. All, Chris, there's never things for us. Like, we never run out of things to talk about. No. Treat it as an AMA. Ask us anything. Ask us anything, guys. We will be live every week on Twitter Spaces right on through the draft as we're doing our draft preview series, which will be rolling out here in the next week or two. We're going to start rolling those out. It's going to be a wild time to be a fan of the Rock Pile Report. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. Huge thank you to Bruce Nolan. Thank you to Chris for putting up with my nonsense. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.